This is One More Time, and I am Sean Smith, host and executive producer. Welcome to this month's mini-band, featuring a full episode of The Entrepreneurial Musician by Andrew Hitz. This is a fantastic podcast, and while it is not specifically aimed at band directors or even bands in general, there's a lot to learn from what Andrew offers. There are several episodes I would like to highlight. One of the earlier episodes is an interview featuring Dr. Tim, and it is wonderful. And his second episode features Pat Sheridan of The Breathing Gym. Both are really fun to listen to, and I highly recommend them. The episode we are going to present in full as part of the mini band today is episode 77, The Savvy Musician's 10 Tips for 2017 with David Cutler. This episode is a two-parter, so to get the second half, you have to subscribe to Andrew's podcast, and I would strongly advise you to do so. And now, Andrew Hitz and David Cutler. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Entrepreneurial Musician. I am your host, Andrew Hitz, and today's episode features a return from uh, one of the most popular guests that I've had on the podcast, although please do not tell him that. Um, He is, of course, my dear friend, Dr. David Cutler from the University of South Carolina, the author of The Savvy Musician, the host of The Savvy Arts Venture Challenge. Um, he's got, uh, he's got a second book out. He's got a third one. I think that he's working on now. He's crazy. He just never stops. He's like the energizer bunny, but less cute. So, uh, love you, David. Um, this was an awesome, uh, an awesome conversation that I had with him. Uh, this episode is all about, um, this is part one in, uh, uh, you know, it's, it was cool in a very Cutler-esque way. I, um, we've been trying to hook up for a second time for the podcast for months and months and months, and his schedule wasn't jiving with mine and whatever. And so we finally got it done, and I had an idea for a topic, which would have been good, but uh, but Cutler is a, uh, is a tweaker. He likes to tweak things uh, in a very good way. And he said... I'm in. The time I proposed, it like actually worked right out of the gate. It was like, what's what's going on? How can we both be free? And then he said, but uh, I'm not nuts about the topic. Let's uh, let's brainstorm. So um, anyway, in true Cutler fashion, uh, he then uh, emailed me. Uh, he emailed me 10 uh, savvy tips, and he said we could maybe work off of some of these if you like some, if you don't like. Well, all 10 of them, predictably, are awesome. And um, we spent this, uh, this is part one. Uh, we haven't recorded part to yet, but we recorded part one uh, today, and um, this basically turned into like a you know ten tips for 2017. Uh, by the time this comes out, it's not going to be quite New Year's. Um, you know things are happening as you just noticed. I just took a couple of week break uh, in December, which wasn't really planned, but just needed to happen for family reasons. So uh, you know things happen around here when they happen. So, um, but uh, Cutler sent me this list of ten tips, and uh, we explored the first five. And uh, as you will hear on air I put him on the hook for um, for recording another five and we're actually going to do that like next week so uh, it should be um, it should be good to go uh, really soon but this is uh, really really good stuff uh, out of uh, David Cutler. And you're going to hear at the very beginning, he plugs the Savvy Arts Venture Challenge. Uh, there's a deadline that's coming up. The first scholarship deadline is coming up soon. It is January 17th. We do not mention that. Um, but uh, as I say, uh, as you're about to hear me say, so I won't go into detail, the Arts Venture Challenge is awesome. I was a thought leader a few years ago. It is really, really, really great do anything that you possibly can to get there. Uh, the networking alone that will happen for you over these five days 
uh, would be worth, uh, well, you can get up to 100% scholarship, but it would, uh, I mean, it'd be worth thousands of dollars if you knew ahead of time what you were going to get and just paid for the networking, and it's so much more than that. So check it out, and you can follow the links and all that through the show notes, which you can find at andrewhits.com slash show notes. Um, I did need to quickly thank uh, Parker Mouthpieces for providing the hosting. Uh, Parker Mouthpieces offers fine, customizable component mouthpieces for horn, trombone, euphonium, and tuba, including the Andrew Hits Artist Model Tuba Mouthpiece. Find out more at parkermouthpieces.com or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also, three things that you can do to uh, to help the support uh, the entrepreneurial musician. One is you can go to patreon.com slash podcast and you can uh, pledge a small donation per episode uh, that will cost you like the f- a fraction of, uh, of a movie. It could basically, if you donate $1 per episode, it's going to cost you the equivalent of one movie ticket every three months uh, for like 12 episodes. Um, and uh, those ongoing donations, no matter how small are incredibly helpful for helping me to cover costs and um and i uh, i love each and every one of you that's already done that two you can go to the itunes uh, store and you can leave me a rating and a review uh that helps uh, the podcast get found by other people who search it and then third and finally is that you can share it with a friend uh, if you've got someone who uh who you think might uh, might get a lot out of the uh out of the podcast uh that would be awesome that's obviously why i yap into this mic all the time uh it's not to hear my own voice i still kind of cringe a little when i hear myself talk when i listen to these to make sure that they're good to uh good to go out to all of you people but um but it's um you know if it can help uh, a lot of people help me along the way and uh and i'm trying to just give a little bit of that back so uh if you know somebody that you uh that you think might like it then uh you know maybe hip them to it and uh that would be awesome uh if you're not interested in doing any of those three things i'm super happy with the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of podcasts um and with netflix and with uh, snapchat and with whatever i mean there's so much to uh, compete for for our attention, the fact that you're listening to this right now uh, means the world to me. And I know I say that, and that's kind of a figure of speech, but uh, I mean it. You you guys are awesome. So uh, that is it. Without further ado, here is part one of um, the uh, Savvy Musicians' uh, 10 Tips for 2017. And today I am joined by Dr. He collects degrees like they're baseball cards. Dr. David Cutler, the savvy musician himself. How are you, doctor? I am great. How are you, Mr. Hits? I am I am good. Yeah, I do not have 3 degrees. I've I started 3 degrees. I finished one of them in exactly 4 years with a really good GPA, and uh that's the one I finished. So, um Wow. Well, congrats on that. I recently moved to uh Columbia, South Carolina because I just wanted more degrees. Yeah. <laughs> that's awful. That's like, that's like that's that, that was so bad. Like. I'm I'm disappointed in you. Uh, I would edit that out, but I have a feeling the audience would, would wants to hear that. They need to, yeah. So, and after that joke, you're about to pitch a thing where you want people to come spend five days with you. That is really that's interesting timing. So, uh, the uh, not very savvy of you, David. Uh, so, um, David runs uh, an incredible event every year, which is called the Savvy Arts Venture Challenge. And uh, that is happening again in 2017 in uh, June uh, down at the University of South Carolina in Columbia, South Carolina, where there are a lot of degrees grown. Uh, David, can you tell us uh, about the um, about the the Arts Venture Challenge and about how people can apply? 
Sure. Well, it's an absolutely incredible event, unlike any other. Uh, this event could be for you if you are someone who could benefit uh, as a musician or as an artist from earning more money while making more impact. And that's really our focus. How can you generate more revenue in your life while making more of a difference in the world around you? Own an oil and company? And we do this. Sorry? I, owning an oil company comes to mind. <laughs> there are many ways to solve life and uh for a tuba player uh do what you do what you got to do uh this is an experience where this is not a lecture fest the way that we believe is best to learn is you learn by doing so folks work on teams to build an arts-based business from the ground up and by the end of the week they actually pitch this concept to judges and an audience for feedback and awards. So it's, it's a little like Shark Tank for the arts. Uh, and we have all kinds of incredible features. We use all of the arts to teach lessons about business and success. Uh, if this seems intriguing to you, but uh, you say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure if, uh, if I can afford something like this. You know, that was an argument, or that was something that we heard in the, in the first couple of years. People would say, I really would love to attend your event. And, you know, people come from all over the place, all over the United States and the world. But people would say, I'd really love to attend, but I, I, did, I can't afford it. And so we had a saying the first few years, if you can't afford to be here, you absolutely have to be here. Right? <laughs> if you can't afford a little bit of investment into your own career, you need to figure out how you can generate more money to be able to afford the kind of investment that you need. But that was a confusing argument for people. <laughs> it's, it's a little layered. <laughs> so last year, we introduced a scholarship program where we offer uh, up, we offer 50 to 100% of scholarship tuition money uh, that people can apply for. It's a competitive program, so they can either pay tuition and have a guaranteed spot while there's room that remains, or they can apply to be considered uh, for a tuition scholarship, which can cover, like I say, up to 100% of what we do. So if it sounds interesting for you, please check out our site. Uh, it is www.sc.edu forward slash music forward slash savvy, S-A-V-V-Y. Uh, and you can find out more information there. Do you really want people who can't spell savvy to apply? <laughs> we accept all types. <laughs> we like a diverse group. So I actually can't spell anything. It, my phone spells everything. Sometimes when I'm doing email and and it just has like the the dots underneath it that it's misspelled. I'm like, you know the right answer already. Just fix it. So yeah, life is hard. Is what I'm saying basically. Uh, first world problems. Yes, yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty classic first world problem right there. Um, I was a thought leader at this uh, a few years ago, and it was phenomenal. The experience you was were a great. Great was, thought leader. Was uh, hey, thanks, man. I thanks for complimenting my thoughts and my my leadership. Uh, well, I guess I'm paraphrasing at this point, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. It was really great. Uh, the people there, uh, the buzz from the people there at the end of that thing, the buzz throughout it, but. Uh, everyone is so busy it's uh, in the best way possible i mean it's like this there's like this manic energy that is uh, kind of permeates the whole thing from the very first moments of the morning all the way until everybody goes to bed and um i yeah i cannot recommend this any more highly and even also just to kind of further the investment in yourself thing even if you get a hundred percent scholarship it's obviously it's a you have to get there it's a week that you're not earning money i pr i promise you that uh it is absolutely worth uh any 
hardship that uh, that you would uh, undertake as a result of that. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a powerful thing. So uh, so check out that uh, and that that super long link that he uh, mentioned will be in the show notes. So uh, which Great. you can always find at andrewhitscom slash show notes. And I think this is episode 76 but don't quote me so uh i don't have that in front of me so it's 70 something yeah go to yeah go to show notes slash 70 something and it'll it'll be right there so um all right so uh i Cutler has so many things to, t- excuse me, Dr. Cutler, excuse me, I don't need the lawyers on me, uh, The um, has so many things. Oh, by the way, I love the fact that he thought that, um, even though he's been on the podcast before, he thought that I recorded video, so he's wearing a dress shirt and a jacket, which is awesome, because <laughs> I was like, no, dude, that's, yeah, you're, you're all I good. just dressed up for you, Andrew. I, I know you I did. noticed you didn't return the favor. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm wearing a nice-ish shirt for a tuba player, so... Um, so and a toupee. yeah <laughs> that's right i got a lot of problems but hair on my head is not one of them yeah um all right so uh, a lot of problems uh cutler when we were talking about what we were what we were going to talk about that's getting layered as well um well i had an idea which was a good one but then cutler in typical cutler fashion it's like you give him a composition and he's like you know i think we should revoice this chord and that happens to be the first chord in his piano part and then he's like you know the second one could be better revoice too in a good way he tinkers with everything so he was like well let's talk about this he sent me a list of um of uh well he basically sent me a list of one thing he said all i want to do is plug the the um you know the the arts challenge and then i want to hang up but i'm i'm making him offer you more value than that i uh, know he sent me 10 uh 10 savvy tips um and uh we're we might get to two of them we might get to all 10 but it's a um it's a really cool uh list that is going to be uh that i think we can do some deep dives with him on some of these um how about uh why don't you talk to us doctor about um get to the end yeah this is about finishing things it's about delivering and shipping there are some musicians you know it's interesting there there are musicians that have a hundred ideas right they see potential in everything that they can do and then there are other musicians that see only one or two ideas for themselves it seems like people either find potential everywhere they look or they don't see anything for themselves but or very many options for themselves. But even the idea people often start projects and never get them done. Yes. And so I think an essential part to being savvy is actually getting to the end point, right? So if you're writing a book, getting it out. If you're making a podcast episode, putting it out there, finishing up your website, uh, designing a course, writing that grant application, whatever it is. Yeah, that's a, such a great point. That's the thing that's come up on the podcast a number of times. Um, I always use the uh, you know the Godin terminology for it, which is shipping, which is one of the ones that you used. But yeah, it's even just uh, which is finishing and sharing it. You know, it's like pushing it out to the world. And uh, I was just telling uh, telling David before we. Um, before we started recording that um that's really funny i've like i've had a very frantic morning with my son who's at preschool right now and as i just said that i just nervously looked down to make sure that the red light was on i was like did i hit record and i did so that's good but all of a sudden my brain just etched sketched like really the good news is is that david is a good enough friend that i could be like uh dude we have to start over not that he would be like oh that's wonderful but if he got mad i would actually laugh so um but anyway um that 2017 for me is is all about 
about, um, you know, I've got projects that are moving forward, but I think I've figured out that I have too many projects going right now, so they're all going slowly. I, none of them are full-blown full stalled, but uh, I'm just kind of reevaluating whether that's the best way to go. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and life and professional circumstances should morph, and personal and family ones morph, and financial circumstances morph, and it's just kind of a constant moving target, but, man, is it important to, uh, to finish. You know, that's a great point. And right, you know, the day we're talking, we're right at the beginning of the year in January. Um, I think at this point of the year, it's a it's a natural time for people to reflect on what they need to do. And I think a common question is, what do I need to do this year? What projects am I going to work on this year? A better question might be, what projects am I going to finish this year? Amen. Right. Be, by December 31st, what am I going to have done? And write those things down, put them on your refrigerator or somewhere that they they stare at you regularly and hold yourself accountable. Yeah, that's great. And you will feel great when you when you actually finish something. Yeah, that's 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 great. The uh, yeah, Godin talks about yeah making deadlines even when it's with yourself, and that absolutely no matter what, then you have to ship no matter what you've got. And uh, yeah, I love deadlines uh, with consequences. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, the first uh, the first edition of my band director's guide to everything tuba book, which I self published, and I I learned a, a lot of stuff from that. There ended up being a bunch of typos in there, um, and it was for it was some interesting reasons. I had a couple of people transcribe some stuff for me, and there was a couple of instances of like there versus there, etc., which spell check doesn't get. It turns out I'm not a great proofreader, although I've learned that if I read out loud, then I catch it right away. Um, but I don't, I don't make those spelling mistakes and I make, I already told you, I was like, you know, my email just has dots underneath the word. So I make spelling mistakes, but the point is that I warned him not to I, have Siri dictate his book. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even write it. I had someone else dictate it that knew nothing about music. So, um, but I shipped it and you're right. It felt great, you know, and it was super well received. And there were a couple of people who were like, who were good friends who were like, yeah, there's some typos in there. And I said, yeah, I know. And, and, and anyway, I've honed the system and, um, yeah, I could still be tweaking it. I mean, yeah, it is possible to have a book with zero typos ever, but like, ugh, if, if it takes you five years to write that book, then like, yeah, give me 20 typos and, and three books rather than if you have no one. typos and no book, that's not worth that much, <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. It's better to have a book yes. with five typos yes. than no book with no typos. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, that's great. How about, uh, how about get small, but make it huge? So I think, uh, so much of the time, you know, the hardest goal to reach is anything that's in the middle, but most of the time, most of the musicians that I meet, the artists that I meet, they have kind of very unspecific goals. Um, when, when, when they're looking at, um, what, what you, they're just kind of in the middle. Like, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to be a songwriter. I want to play concerts, right? That's just kind of a, a goal in the middle. It's not that I want to play a thousand concerts or that I want to play just one. I want to just, I want to get gigs or I want to do, you know, these kind of mid-level gigs, uh, mid-level um, uh, uh, goals for themselves. And it's very hard to secure those. So what I recommend is, Get focused on what it is you want to do. And I'll, I'll give you, I know this is a little different audience, but I was actually doing a talk um, for, for a group of uh, pop musicians, for a group of like singer-songwriters or whatever it is. And I asked someone, so, and we've what got, do you want to do? We've got some of that too. I've, I've gotten emails from hip-hop artists. So yeah, it's a, kind of a cross-section of, of everybody. 
So I asked someone, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'd really love to write songs for a living. Great. This was a whole room of singer-songwriters. So I said, how many of you have that goal? And every single hand went up, right? Everyone wants to do that kind of normal thing in the middle. So he said, well, what are your songs about? And he said, well, like lots of things. And it's very difficult to make a voice if what you do is about lots of things. Like if your podcast was, I'll talk about anything. Right. That's hard. There might be someone who can make an everything podcast happen. Seth Godin, who you've been referring to, maybe, although he really is a business voice, but it, it, it's very hard to be in anything. Person. Sure. So he said, well, I write about a lot of things. And I said, well, what do you write about? Um, so I write love songs. So I said, all right, how many of you write love songs? And every other, every hand went up, right? They all write love songs. So that's not a very distinct <laughs> But I had him talk about uh, a little bit more, um, well, what, what do you write about in those love songs? And he started talking. I think it's good to talk or write things down because it gives you hints. And he said, well, you know, a lot of times I'll talk about the kind of future that we'd like to live together. Ah, love in the future. So he came up with this idea. What about instead of writing lots of songs about lots of things, if you make it small? And your whole identity, you focus on for a while. You write love songs, but all of them take place 30 years in the future. Right. right. That's the one thing that you do is you write a whole bunch of love songs from the year, a whole album of love songs that were written in the year 2053. So the love, the emotion is the same that it has always been. But the technology is different and the circumstances are different. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of a, a weird and a quirky and an interesting thing. And although there are many, many love songs, there aren't any others that have been written, I think, from the year 2053. Or whatever. Right. So it becomes a very specific thing. And there, there are other ways to get specific. So, for example, if you want to play concerts, well, what kind of concerts? Oh, there are lots of kinds of concerts. Well, that's hard to do. And usually when people say, I want to get a whole bunch of things or I'll do anything, they're looking for the obvious opportunities. But what if you say instead, uh, I'm not going to only do concerts. I want to do concerts for a very specific audience. I want to do concerts for medical doctors. Now, let me tell you a few things about medical doctors. First of all, they've got or hospitals and healthcare and things like that. Real so doctors, thing, as I like to call yeah, them. Real, real, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> so here's something about them. They've got lots of money. Here's something else about them. They might not be over uh, burdened with musical events in their life. In fact, maybe they haven't been to a show or they haven't had a, a show for them in a long time. So instead you decide, I want to really be the tuba player or the piano player or the klezmer band or whatever it is that really celebrates the medical community. And maybe you put together a show that has uh, some pieces that are just the same pieces you'd always do, but some that really resonate with that community. In fact, I did that. I got a, I got a gig for, uh, it was like a lunchtime concert uh, that was for some medical doctors. And I said, I, I want to really resonate with them. I'm not just going to do everything the same as I normally do. I want to do something specific to them. So one of the pieces I decided to do was uh, I told them beforehand, I said, for this next piece, there's going to be a test. And all these medical doctors got really nervous <laughs> about that because they were going to be great at it. I said, look under your seat. There's a sheet. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play <laughs> I'm going to play themes from medical dramas, uh, <laughs> TV shows, and movies. And you have to see how many of these themes you can identify. And whoever gets the most themes correct, 
uh, will be deemed the best doctor in the house, <laughs> which is totally not true, right? If you get the most themes right, you probably are the worst doctor in the house. But at any rate, <laughs> they got the irony of that. And it was a fun activity that really related to them. Right. Another piece, I never believe in dumbing down the art, you know, do what you need to do. But for another piece, I decided I even wanted to do a prepared piano piece, but I decided to call it open piano surgery. You know, if you're, if your listeners don't know, prepared piano means you put things in the piano. And so it sounds unlike a piano. It's a really cool thing. But then I made a whole uh, analogy about how it was like going in and dissecting this piano or whatever it is. So it was something that the doctors really related to. And that's what I mean about going small. Instead of just, I'll do anything, try to find a niche and become and focus on developing something for that but then make it as big as you can. So in other words, you know, take over that space. So if you want, if, if your area is writing songs that happen in the year 2053, love songs or whatever it is, how far could you go with it? You can write a blog about it. You can make a movie about it. You can, <clears throat> you can, uh, <clears throat> you can write books about it and, and do kind of poetry readings in, in, in the future. If you if you have a concert series, for uh, doctors, you could be, this could be a much easier way. If you want a national tour, here's what most people do. They say, well, I want to set up a national tour. And so they look for all of the normal gigs in the normal places where they have hundreds and hundreds of applicants. But if you want to do a national tour and you have a product that is really appealing to doctors, you have a specific audience, nobody else is being considered for these opportunities. You're the only player in town. Um, this would be a great way to do it. So you can go really big with your vision of this small, narrow thing. That's great. I, I've shared this once on the podcast before. I have no idea what episode it was, but the, the first time that I went to the APAP conference, which is happening probably like next week. I think it's always in January, um, the, uh, which is at the Midtown Hilton, uh, right in the middle of uh, Manhattan, the uh, Association of Performing Arts Presenters. And uh, you quickly realized that uh, I was, of course, playing in a primarily classical brass quintet. Um, but you figure out quickly that w that we were competing against um, against Chinese acrobat troops and uh, comedy duos and uh, dueling pianos and string quartets and jazz uh, quintets with film and I mean, you know, it's like. It was not, uh, you know, you kind of, I think there's an assumption by a lot of us, at least initially, that, well, if I'm a classical chamber group, then I'm competing against other classical chamber groups. And of course I knew I wasn't just competing against other brass quintets, but, but, oh my goodness. And so there's just the right. number of people you're competing against. It's, uh, and that conference, it made you stare that straight in the face. I mean, there's just like, it felt like there were hundreds of thousands of groups there. There of course were not, but, um, it's incredible how just booth after booth, after booth, after booth, who were all kind of competing in the same, um, you know, right. that was a very red ocean. And so you're talking right. about uh, creating your own blue ocean. So I was also right. trying to figure out how many uh, college degrees I will have uh, aborted by 2053. The, the, the number, uh, I don't think I'm starting anymore, but uh, but that, yeah, the number could be higher than ah, two. There's still time. There is, still, there there's is still, still time, yeah. There's still time. Yeah, yeah, it's the idea of, you know, stand for something at the expense of many other things. And I think most of us try to be all things to all people. And that is the hardest place to get ahead. That's pretty much so a fool's small, errand. Yeah. And then make it big. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. 
Um, how about fail your way to success, which I'm assuming you're primarily talking about your uh, your dating career until you somehow hit the jackpot with Erica. <laughs> what do you know about my dating? <laughs> okay. Um, you know, one of the parts of our educational system is that we are often given tasks where if you follow the directions, you will succeed every time. And unfortunately, that is not the way that life works. So a lot of people are very, very um, fragile when it comes to this, and they're very risk averse. Yes. So the way I think about it, there are two types of failures. I call it type A failure and type B failure. So a type A failure is the result of an action. You try something and it doesn't work out. Type B is the result of inaction. You don't try something and it doesn't work out, right? So type A means you apply for a grant and you don't get the grant. Type B means you don't apply for the grant and you don't get the grant because there's no way you're going to get it if you don't apply for it. My experience is that most savvy musicians and most successful people have accrued many type A failures while most bitter musicians or people who haven't reached their potential um, often have very few type A failures and a huge type B one, which hmm. is their life didn't really work out. Hmm. So my model is make a thousand mistakes once, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're making the same mistake over and over again, then you're not learning from it, right? But if you're never making mistakes, if you go through a year, maybe we should look through a year since we're talking at the beginning of the year, you know, if you go through the course of your year and, and, and you look back or the course of a month and you say, well, what mistakes, what big mistakes did I make? What, what failures did I have this year? You can't really think of any big ones. Maybe you're not pushing hard enough. Mm, Maybe you should it. be getting out of your zone. Love it. Oh, that's boy. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's going to be a, uh, for sure, I'm going to do an episode on the two types of failure. I'll take what you just said succinctly, and then I won't really add anything to it. I'll just take like 15 minutes to talk about it. It'll be great. Uh, everyone's really excited about that. So, no, I, I mean, there's just like my brain is thinking about examples from my own life and from other careers that I've witnessed, and and that's uh, – yeah, you know, it, it reminds me actually. The uh, there's a um, a Twitter account that I run that's called uh, um, at Jacobs Quotes, which is all quotes from Arnold Jacobs, who's the great uh, brass uh, pedagogue who was the tuba player in the Chicago Symphony. And um, just the other day, um, uh, the the quote was something to the effect of um, um, "Make uh, you know, make mistakes. Um, silence cannot be improved." Which was yeah. like that's money. I mean, yeah, you yeah. you you can't. Uh, you have to sound bad on the guitar in order to get better on the guitar. So it, you never get right. better by leaving it in the case. That's right. And uh, yeah, good stuff. And when you do make a mistake, you know, or when things aren't working out, when you do have a failure, there's a a real question to answer at that point, which is, do I pivot or persevere? Which means, mm -hmm. okay, it's not working out. Do I need to just do what I've been doing, but do it better or do it longer or do it harder or do it stronger? Or do I need to change my strategy? Right. And to be open and flexible enough, this is not a personal thing. This is just where you are in life. And so I, I think about that a lot when it's, and it doesn't have to be just, you know, it could be 
the whole premise of um, your life. I have, a, I have a friend that um, wanted to be an orchestra musician. Uh, and in his case, he's actually had a lot of type A failures uh, because he's taken lots and lots and lots of orchestra auditions. And sometimes he advances and sometimes he doesn't. But he hasn't landed, he's landed, you know, the B-level, C-level orchestra jobs. He just hasn't landed an A-level orchestra job before. And so there's the question of, uh, well, now I've had all of these failures. Do I need to just keep doing it more? And maybe is the 73rd audition or the 152nd audition or whatever, is that going to be the one that changes it? Or do I need to switch directions? And in this case, I want, you know, I would never suggest that someone should live their life in a particular way. But if you keep trying something and you have the same failure over and over again, maybe that's not the right thing or maybe you need to drastically alter the way that you're approaching it. But I think that in many other cases, we are so risk averse, especially classically trained musicians, yes. right? Where the, the goal for so many classically trained musicians is to get the right note in the right way as determined by some other great person. You as the performer are not that great person. Right. That other great person, Beethoven, uh, made the decisions hundreds of years ago. And your job is to just make him happy. And then it's been uh, fortified over and over again by other famous performers who have come along and kind of all played it in a, in a similar or acceptable way. So, right. Yeah. And when you come through that tradition, it becomes very scary, the notion that you should try your own thing where you might fail. Right. Um, so uh, I think it's important in your life to, 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 to celebrate your successes. Nobody likes to fail, but to celebrate your successes and celebrate your failures because right. at least you're out there doing things. And you should learn from your successes. With every success, figure out how does that take you to the next place. And with every failure, how does that take you to the next place? Remain teachable. That is like the number one like thing. To, like as, as I get older, it's the more I understand that on like the most guttural level possible. You have to learn from failures, learn from successes, learn from from everything. Yeah, remain teachable. Also, the the pivot or persevere. I love um, I love how succinctly you put that, and that. Um, that decision at first, it can feel like, well, wait, you know, I don't know. I don't want to get this wrong, this, that. But if you if you make that decision a lot, it gets easier <laughs> and you start right. to be able to identify better, um, you know, whether, you know, am I um, am I pivoting out of fear or am I persevering out of fear? Um, you know, rather than, um, you know, the, the business term is uh, sunk costs, right, which is that I've, I've uh, put uh, – X number of whether you're talking about I don't know why I'm thinking about oil companies, but whether you're talking about Exxon Mobil or or you're talking about um, the um, or you're talking about um, you know a, a college string quartet. I mean, if you've if you've spent a thousand dollars on a photo shoot and then and then all of a sudden you realize that you really need to make a personnel change, then you're thinking, but we just took those photos. It's like that money is a sunk cost. It's gone. And if you need to make the personnel change. You got to do it, um, so you kind of can figure out whether, basically, pivoting or persevering gets better as you do it more. So, um, which is why you got to right. succeed, fail, try, and do that type A failure uh, as much as you can. And to get used to this term, I had uh, some students this last term, and and there was a little activity, not a big deal, but they didn't do it. They didn't do it. There was a team that was working on it. I said not in any 
hostile way. I just said, oh, well, you failed at this. And it destroyed them. They couldn't believe this. And they, there was this, this backlash right away because they had never failed, especially I'm thinking about one person on the team. He had never failed in his mind at anything in his life because he was a hard worker and, and whatever it was. And that was a really kind of offensive thing to say. And so we wound up opening this up and talking about failure for basically every class after that and just talking about the importance of it and the, and the value of it. Sometimes when you try things, um, you know, I, I know someone who runs, a, or he, he ran this entrepreneurial theater school. And one of the final projects uh, that, that, that they had to do is they had to write a one-person show, uh, rehearse it, stage it, all those things, produce it, put it on publicly, doing all, all in, in a venue that was off campus and do all the marketing and raise the money with the non-university funds, all of these things. So that was the final project and it's a really hard project to have happen. And some people just rise to the occasion and they do amazing work and it helps them find their place and some students fail. So what is the consequence of that? Well, in some cases they see clearly that they failed and they decide, you know what? I don't have what it takes to be an artist. I don't have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And that's fine. Yes. There are many places you can fit in in the world. You don't have to be a DIY kind of person. Right. But in other cases, they say, I failed at that, but I am going to show my teachers and I'm going to show the world that I do, in fact, have what it takes. And that failure is directly responsible for a work ethic that evolves afterwards and a, and a, and a kind of tenacity that comes afterwards that I am going to show the world, I am going to show myself, I can in fact succeed. And I think those are both very positive outcomes. The worst outcome I think would be you fail at it and then you're like, all right, well, and you don't really learn from it. You just do it some more and you kind of waddle by and <laughs> fail at the next thing. And did I just say the word waddle? Yeah, you, <laughs> it was a little awkward, but I, I was going to gloss over it. But, you know, since we're talking about it, we can unpack that if you'd like. Uh, the, uh, you know, I don't remember who said this, but, uh, you know, the importance of um, of failing as quickly as you can as well, which I really like. And, uh, you know, like that well, early and often. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the. That project, that theater project, that's a good way to rip that Band-Aid off because if, if you've got a semester to do that or even, a, even two semesters to do that, that's a, that's a ton of work. But the point is that you would figure out in three months' time that you're not a DIY uh, you know, woman or man rather than brainstorming about doing a, a one-woman or a one-man show and then thinking about it and then putting a few thoughts to paper and then not shipping it. And then it could be four years later and you've – kind of got some notes in Evernote about where direction you're going to go. And you talk to one person about maybe a concept abstractly about fundraising. And, and then all of a sudden you realize that you're not doing anything with theater for a living. And then you're, uh, you know, working at, uh, you know, Starbucks. So I would rather fail right away. I mean, yeah, with this podcast, if there was no audience after, I'd rather know right away that there was going to be no traction at all. Um, and uh, not that I was like checking out the downloads on the first week and saying, am I going to keep going? But the point is that you don't like, you know, you don't record 20 episodes and then get three famous people and then put them all out. And then, you know, you just, just go and then just figure it out. And yeah, it's fail early and fail often. Um, I like that. How about... Uh, look for opportunities where they don't exist. Yeah, well, most people look for the opportunities that do exist, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want a grant, 
you look for the obvious grants in your area, right? Or if you if you want uh, a gig, you look for the obvious concert presenters, or you, you look for all of those kinds of things. And the problem is, if it's a good opportunity, <clears throat> there's probably a lot of competition. In most markets, right, it's an oversaturated market. So there's a, a job that you want. It might be a good job, but uh, there might be 200 applicants for that job. So I, I didn't say here, don't look for opportunities where they exist. If you can get an existing opportunity that is fulfilling to you and helps you reach your goals, that's amazing. Of course. But sometimes that's the hardest place to be. Right. And because it's just so congested. So when you can, when you look for opportunities where they don't exist, uh, you have to unleash someone's imagination. But if you can do that, you are the only game in town. Right? right. Just like we were talking about for doing doctor's concerts or whatever it is. That might not be what they do, but if you can convince one person, right, that, that a string quartet or a jazz group or whatever can change the energy and provide all of these positive values to their community. And by the way, I have one of those, you know, they're not going to shop. Oh, I love the idea. Now let me open up a call for proposals or whatever it is. They're going to go with you each and every time. Of course you have a monopoly on their attention. Hmm. Um, So that's something I always try to do is say where most, you know, a lot of times uh, most musicians do look at what the competition is doing. But often they look to see what are other people doing, and then they try and do that thing. I think savvy musicians also understand what the competition is doing, but it gives them more information about what not to do. Right. Um, I work in, of the many, many hats I wear, I, I work in music higher education. And one thing I hear a lot of times from, you know, it's getting harder to attract students. You know, higher education is very expensive, uh, all kinds of things like that. And so in looking for solutions and what should we be doing to serve 21st century learners in uh, in, in various ways, one of the common comments I hear is, well, what are other schools doing? As if let's learn from them and do the thing that they're doing. And there's, there's a benefit to that. There could be a benefit to that. But I always am looking at, what aren't any of the other schools doing? And then do that. Right. So a lot of the events that I throw, there you know, are opportunities they don't, I do a lot of uh, Beyond Savvy we talked about, but I throw a lot of kind of national and international profile events um, and that have done very well. And one of the secrets um, is by just looking at what nobody else is talking about. Right. One of the things that I've noticed, maybe I should put this on my list, is that in most, whatever the elephant in the room is, that's the thing that most people aren't talking about. Right. The, the most important issue is the thing that most people aren't talking about. Sure. So, uh, for example, uh, you know, I wrote a book called The Savvy Musician, right, which is about career models for musicians. Right. Which is one of the biggest issues for musicians. And, you know, I come from a, classical and a jazz background and those kinds of things. When I wrote that book, right, this was one of the most, and it continues to be one of the most pressing issues uh, facing musicians is what are you going to do with that? How are you going to make your way in the world, uh, both economically and also to make a positive mark on the world? And it was the one topic nobody was talking about, right? right? We talk about all these other things, these high level theoretical concepts and music history from all the ages, which are wonderful. 
But the one issue, which is like, what am I going to do with my life? There wasn't a single book uh, out there, for example, at that point. It's insane, isn't it? Career models. So I just went to what's the thing that the most important thing that nobody's talking about and did that. I did it last year um, in music higher ed. Uh, I think we've talked about this before, but in music and higher ed, um, a lot of the model, really the educational model hasn't changed in decades. You could compare a 1952 uh, curriculum with today's at a lot of music programs and it's except for cosmetic details, it's about the same. And we understand that it's kind of the elephant in the room in a world that is changing faster than any of us can possibly comprehend. So I threw an event last year uh, called, uh, uh, it was a summit focused on 21st century music school design. Where do music schools go from here? Kind of the biggest issue that's facing us, the elephant in the room, but there had not been an event like this before. And uh, as a result, we sold out, we, we brought 250 people uh, to South Carolina from every United State, Canada, Europe, and Australia, and we turned hundreds of people away. Because it turns out, when you create an opportunity that doesn't exist but people care about, that's a good position to be in. Yeah, that's that's great. Yep, so important. As I know, I've said on the podcast before, um, especially in our corner of this business, uh, you know, two two entities that um, that uh, that are are shall we say uh, slow to uh, adapt to the times are uh, classical music and higher education. So you then combine those two, and uh, yeah, we're we're uh, entering the 1950s or so. Yeah, and a lot of and yet there are some people. Um, if anyone is listening to this and you didn't hear the interview I did with Brian Pertle, uh, which was one of the first ones, he was in the first ten or so. Maybe. It's amazing. Oh my goodness gracious! Yeah, you hear that guy. And it's like, boy, yeah, put him in charge. Of, I mean, there is no person that's in charge of everything, but if there ever had to be, like, yeah, I, and, and there might be better, but uh, like, I'd nominate him. <laughs> we would be in good hands, you know. He's and, he's fantastic. He's got vision. He just he gets it, you know. Whether you're talking about music education or music performance or really anything, I mean, there really are hundreds of ways to solve every puzzle, just about every puzzle, right? So it's interesting that most of us arrive at very similar or the same conclusions to a various problem, even though there are many ways to do it. So I'm actually working on another um, project right now for independent music teachers. And uh, one of the, just a small point that I, that I was thinking about is that it seems that there is this near ubiquitous belief. If you're an independent music teacher, no matter what you teach or where you work or the ability level of your students, that music instruction is best taught one-on-one, -on -one, one time per week at the same day and you know hour uh, for 30 to 60 minutes. <laughs> and of course, that's one way to approach it, and there are very strong benefits to that. But is that truly the only way? That seems to like an opportunity for disruption, and, doesn't it? Right, and, and and is it even the best way? Right. And is it the best way for you? And and. If this is the way everyone else is doing it, which might be a very good way, does the world really need one more person doing it? <laughs> right. Or could you be the one person that offers something different, which may not be for everyone, right. but it will probably get you more than your fair share, the you know fair slice of the pie, or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting. The the um, that's the thing is that uh, the and that it all goes back to remaining teachable. Uh, we all make assumptions that um, uh, that that are not necessarily obvious to us because it's just like, well, this is the way that it is. You know, this is how 
higher education works. This is how a private teacher, you know, instruction works. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's very, very interesting. Um, all right, we've got time for one more, which is actually perfect because um, I want to thank you publicly for uh, volunteering for coming back on the podcast to do part two of these uh, of these ten because this is going to be five. So, on behalf of everyone, thank you, thank you so much. And I Sorry, next I'm leaving the country. And- next one is going <laughs> to be next one is going to be video. So I need you to dress up again. So not at all. I just want to make you dress up. So um, how about uh, let's end? I can't believe I bought my tuxedo. <laughs> You know, just for this, <laughs> it looks like you even dry cleaned it. Which, uh, yeah, from right. touring with you a lot is uh, that's that's quite a, an accomplishment, uh, if you know what I mean. So uh, you work up quite a sweat with all your prepared piano pieces. That was always one of my favorite favorite things with touring with Cutler is seeing the people in charge of whatever hall and seeing the things that he would do to a piano. And you could just you could just as he was going through it, you could see the like the tension rising. Like, wait, he's doing what? Like. <laughs> Is he really lighting that leg of the piano on fire for artistic reasons, or is it? Yeah, it's always. But, that, but the crowds went wild. <laughs> they uh, all, they always did. Yes, yeah, sometimes they were. Yeah, screaming at you, sometimes with you. Uh, yeah, just... but they were trying to get out of the fire. All I know is the check cleared every time. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's end with uh, with embrace your inner weirdo. Well, that was more geared towards you. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's more of an outer weirdo, but uh, but anyway. Well, I think, you know, most musicians um, that I that I meet are really interesting people. There are interesting aspects of them, but the thing that they choose to talk about are the least interesting parts of them. I see this all the time where. <laughs> You know, people write a cover letter for a job or a, or a grant or something like that, and they forget to mention their strengths, right? I see websites where they forget to talk about, or musicians that forget to even mention the things that are most interesting uh, about them. And instead, they focus on what makes them exactly like everyone else. Right. Right? So, uh, for example, um, I've known musicians who uh, play Whatever. I, I knew a musician. He was a pianist. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a pianist. I'm a pianist, too. I mean, it's great to be a pianist, but there are a lot of those people. But this particular musician was also an operatic tenor. Hmm. Like, he, could, he, he got some of the money notes. Now, it wasn't the best in the world, but he was pretty good at this. But the way that he approached things is he did his piano gigs. He worked as a pianist only as a pianist. And then he would get into vocalist mode and it was like a different person. So, and he would get his fair share of the gigs, right? But what was really interesting about him, there, there is no shortage of pianists. There is no shortage of, there might be a shortage of tenors, <laughs> but you get the point, right? Uh, of good ones, uh, because he could read music. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, okay. So this is what I wanted to say. Please, okay. It's just a joke. We, we tease the tenors. We love the tenors. Okay. Uh, the, 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 the point is what was most interesting about him was that he did it, both of those things. Cause there aren't a lot of people who can do both of those things. Sure. Right. So to embrace what it is that makes you special. And I know in so many organizations kind of what they try to show is what I do. And the core is just like everyone else. And all of the most interesting things are kind of out on the periphery. Well, how would you take those things 
and place those at the center of everything that it is that you do. Um, mm. So if you have a if you play an instrument and you have a quirky personality, why erase the quirky personality? Make that be central. Become a character if that's what you're about. And it may not work for every opportunity. Right. So for example, my background is uh, I'm not multi-instrumentalist, but I just came through playing many, many genres of music. So, you know, I play Beethoven and if you're playing a Beethoven sonata, I can do that, but a lot of people can do that. But I also, if, if the next piece you want to play is uh, a burning fast bebop kind of thing, well, that's like, I spent my whole life doing that. And then if you're going to go into Cuban Montuno, it's like, I mean, I spent four years in Miami. That's like a second language to me. Then you want to play a Bulgarian round dance. It's like, I love that music. That's played such a big part of my upbringing. And so... If you just want a pianist, I, there are lots of people who can do that. But right. if you want my case, my getting small is about being big. Right. That's hard for most people. And you know, I talk to a lot of pianists, for example, I say, what kind of music do you play? And I say, oh, I play all types. And what they mean by that is I play Baroque through contemporary classical music. And by contemporary classical, I mean Ravel. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Right? And that's everything for them. But to me, that's actually, that's kind of in the middle because uh, a lot of people do that. So it would be easier in certain ways to, you know, embrace your inner weirdo by being a Baroque musician, which is much smaller, or by being that everything musician, which might involve more things, but is actually small in a certain way, right? Sure. If you, if you want a pianist who can play this one specific thing, there are lots of people you can get. But if you have a need for someone who falls in that small range where they can do everything, I'm the person for you. And you, so that's what I mean about find what's most interesting about you. And if you don't have that thing in your bio, you're missing an opportunity. Yes. How many bios have we read? I'll tell you. Nobody cares where you went to school. Right. Nobody cares what teachers you had. Nobody cares what awards you had in a lot of worlds because everybody has all of those things. Yep. Yeah, the only, peop yes, the only people that will be impressed, quote unquote, or even know what that there should be impressed by any of that stuff also have accomplished them. <laughs> so, or your mom. Yeah, or your mom, like, yes. Moms will be impressed because that's yeah. what moms do. I know I've shared this before. Yeah, as a consultant, I've seen a lot of bios which are just disastrous. They're written to themselves um, and, uh, yeah, not not uh, not good. So, yeah, you know, the – the, uh, what you were just talking about with the inner weirdo thing reminds me that for the first number of years that I was in Boston Brass that we used to sing a barbershop quartet tune, um, which was, you know, was, was always left a huge impression on the audience when we would be playing, we would be an hour and 40 minutes into a brass quintet show of classical music and of, uh, from circus marches to Shostakovich and then, you know, jazz tunes, then all of a sudden put it down and then sing, light a rose i mean you know and sing it well and um and the place would just be like yeah i would absolutely be shocked you know um 
And uh, did we sound like a professional barbershop quartet? Of course not. Um, but uh, first of all, there were five of us. But, um, you know, we doubled the base. So, yeah, there's always one guy you have to hide, So which I, I won't name, but you know who it is. Um, the, uh, the, the, the uh, yeah, he, he may or may not have been interviewed on this podcast. There's your little Easter egg, everybody. So, and if he heard me, he would, yeah, he'd tell me where to go right now. So, and he would smile. So, um, well, uh, this has been awesome. These are like fantastic tips for all of us to keep in mind for 2017 and uh the other five are really great too so i'm serious i want to get you back on uh sometime um and uh but this was this was really great so on behalf of everyone in the tem audience uh thank you so much for your time dr cutler and uh you want to hang up those clothes that you just had pressed or else you're just going to have to pay for it all over again so well, thank you, Mr. Hits, for most of this interview, <laughs> and Happy New Year. All right. Happy New Year to you, too. And that's going to do it for another episode of The Entrepreneurial Musician. You've been listening to The Entrepreneurial Musician with Andrew Hits on the Pedal Note Media Podcast Network. If you would like to help with the ongoing costs of producing this podcast, please visit pedalnotemedia.com slash donate for more details. You can sign up for my monthly newsletter and find my blog at andrewhits.com. You can also find me at facebook.com slash hitstuba, and I'm at andrewhits on Twitter. The Entrepreneurial Musician is produced by Austin Boyer of the Fredericksburg Brass Institute. Executive producer is Andrew Hits. The theme music was performed by Ben Barron, Rich Kelly, Dan LaPelle, and Andrew Hits. This has been a presentation of the Pedal Note Media Podcast Network. Yeah.